Amen. Um, Justin, you're probably not the only one that feels a little bit out of their comfort zone today. It's obviously not my normal job. It's my job to listen, and I prefer to listen, but I'm willing and um, trust that the Lord can overcome the weakness. Um, I almost feel like Stan read the notes to the sermon as he was praying, though I don't think he did. Uh, they've they, they haven't been out of out of my sight since I wrote them. So um, he certainly is on the same wavelength that I am this morning, and we attribute that to the Holy Spirit who lives in both of us and all of us that know him as Savior. Um, we're going through the, the book of Judges, and um, this will be our last study in the book of Judges. We've titled it Breaking the Cycle, and... We're going to see today some more of what that cycle is. But just by way of review, last week, uh, Peter uh, led us in a study of the birth of Samson, that it was promised by an angel. It was in, in some sense miraculous in that his mother was barren, but certainly miraculous in the two visits of an angel and uh, the claiming of the sacrifice um, that was offered to God at that moment by this, the parents of Samson. Um, a lot has happened since the chapter 14 and what we're going to study today in chapter 16. And so I'll just try to be brief in a recap of that. We're, we ended chapter 14 with the Spirit of the Lord beginning, excuse me, chapter 13, with the Spirit of the Lord beginning to stir in Samson. And the chapter concludes with that. The beginning of the next chapter uh, starts out with, he sees a woman of Timnah, which is a Philistine village, so it's not an Israelite, not a worshiper of Jehovah, but it's someone that he thinks is desirable. And so he sees this woman and he says to his parents, I've seen this woman, get her for me for my wife. They try to talk him out of it, but he insists, and they uh, arrange for that, that marriage. Um, before the marriage, he goes, and there is a, um, a feast that he prepares with the, the people there, and they provide for him 30 companions that are um, among the Philistines there. He proposes a riddle to them. They don't know the answer to the riddle, but they... they um, tell his wife, his bride, that if you don't figure out the riddle, we're going to kill you. So under threat of death, she begs with him for the answer to the riddle. He gives it to her. He tells, she tells the 30 men. Then they tell him the answer. He's so angry that he goes and kills 30 Philistines to take their garments in payment of the wager for the riddle. And the family, then, then the the people are angry with him, obviously. They, um, the, and he runs away in, in, in anger. His bride is given to the best man. He comes back to claim his bride, learns that his bride has been given to someone else. He's angry again. He burns their fields with fire. They're angry and kill his wife and her family. He kills more Philistines they end up coming after him. The, the people of Judah where he's living turn him over to the Philistines bound and, and captive. He breaks the bonds from the, Philist, from, from, uh, the, 
his captors and kills a thousand Philistines and that's the end of chapter 15. He, he killed a thousand Philistines, sang a song about his great triumph, then prays his first prayer that's recorded in the Bible. God, why would you give, give deliverance to Israel through me, killing a thousand Philistines, and then I die of thirst? So he's thirsty after killing a thousand people. God gives him, miraculously gives him water to drink, and then we're into chapter 16. So if we'll read together in chapter 16, we'll read it um, in its entirety. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he rose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on, him, on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After, that, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it, is touched, when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me, how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in her, in her chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have only mocked me. You have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like other men. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say that I love you? when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like other men." When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. 
She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, then I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned all his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Peter has pointed out that the stories we learned in Sunday school about the people of the Old Testament left out some details. And I think most of us, uh, if we went to Sunday school and we heard the story of Samson, heard the story of a hero. And like all heroes, he was an attractive figure. We thought that that would be wonderful to, uh, to know a hero, to meet a hero, to be a hero. It was something that we would have aspired to. And there's things about his life that are, that are maybe similar to some of the heroes of our day or the, the fictional heroes of our day. Um, Iron Man is a popular hero, uh, Captain America and many others that are, you know, are promoted as, as icons of greatness and of strength and of uh, particular supernatural power. Well, Samson was a real person who was endued with real supernatural power from God. And so there are a lot of things about him that might have seemed attractive that probably were to the people of his time I, I would imagine that he was the talk of, of Israel the, have, you, have you heard of Samson? Have you met Samson? Have you heard of what he did? Did you know about the thousand people he killed with just a, the, a, a donkey's jawbone and he, he, he it can't be defeated and every time they think they've got him captured he's not captured he's just a tremendous 
strong man and nothing will ever defeat him. And, and people would have, would have seen him as someone they wanted to be like. But there are pitfalls and there are, there are deep, deep flaws in Samson's character. They're, they're obvious to us as we read the story and as we, as we consider the decisions he made and, and the, the lifestyle he lived, there was really not much that was commendable about it at all. But it, it's worth examining in detail because it is not a story that's completely unfamiliar to our lives as well. Because we're prone, like Samson, to, to want to climb that ladder of successful events where we can look back on our victories and see that we have, we, we have defeated a foe or that we have endured a hardship or that, that we, we, we have gained prominence. All of those things are attractive. But I'd like us to examine, first of all, what the Bible would call the weakness of strength. Because Samson was strong, because he had particular abilities, there were times in his life when he avoided humility. When he would have been humbled. It's a humbling experience, um, the first event where that he thought he was really smart and he knew the answer to the riddle and they would never find it out and they did find it out. Well, because of his foolishness, they found it out because he told somebody the answer to the riddle when he should not have trusted her. But anyway, he, he, he told the answer to the riddle and he was angry and instead of being humbled and saying, oh, well, okay, you found it out, you, you, and just laughing about it or just getting over it. He killed 30 people because they figured out his riddle. It's one of those displays of strength that allows a person to continue in their own pride. So in his pride, he never, he never had to realize that it was foolish of him to make the, the wager. It was foolish of him to tell the answer. It was foolish of him to, to worry about it. And then his anger was inappropriate. But none of those things happened because he was a strong man, because he won that battle, because he killed 30 people and paid off the wager. So we're not so much different in the sense that none of us would willingly enroll in the school of humility. The events in our life that humble us have not been because, oh, I think it's time for me to be humbled. I'm going to spill ice cream in my lap in front of everybody. That's not going to happen. I remember one event, and I thought of, <clears throat> I thought, well, maybe I should share an illustration at this point. And I thought, oh, there's this one. No, I don't like that story. There's this, I don't like that story. And they're all about me, so I don't like any of them, and I don't like this one. But when, when I was growing up, I grew up on a farm, and we didn't have a lot of time for athletics, and so I was, I was pathetic at every sport. But what I was good at was scaling a fence, because we had fences, and I learned that if I put my hand on the post of the fence and, and jumped just, just right, I could get over the fence with one bound. One time, I was going to meet my friends at Pizza Hut, 
And they had arrived early, and there's the long fence that, that makes you walk all the way to the ramp and go back up into the, into the door at the entrance. And I thought, ah, I can get over that. That's, that's shorter than the fences in our field. And so I put my hand on it. There's nobody around. put my hand on it. I jump, and I fall flat on my face. And it was terribly embarrassing, but I'm comforted by the fact that nobody saw it. And then I, I look up from my back, and there's a window in the pizza hut, and there's a group of girls looking out the window, laughing hysterically. So, oh no. So I get up, and I, and I stumble in through the door. I get in, and I sit down, and my friend is sitting across from me, and he says, what happened to you? And then there's this group of girls over there pointing and laughing. Yeah, that's the one. And I said, ah, uh, I fell. And he looks around, and he says, I bet you did. <laughs> but I don't like that story because it was a humbling experience. There's a million more, and I'm not going to tell them all, but all of us probably have things like that that we, we wouldn't have chosen to go through. But God uses them for his purposes. But in Samson's life, he avoided the normal consequence of sometimes his stupid decisions, of sometimes his wrong decisions. We also see in Samson's life the loneliness of his pride. Because as he kept winning, by means of his strength, he became very proud. But there's no evidence ever of him having a true companion. When he went to the wedding feast, he didn't even bring a friend. They provided him with 30 companions of the Philistines, but there's no, there's no note at all of him having a companion that came with him. At every point when the Bible records a great victory, he is completely alone in that victory. He has no companions, no co-workers, no one fighting with him. He's always alone. Pride is sometimes attractive from a distance. Probably every young boy in Israel wanted to shake Samson's hand. Every young boy in Israel thought, well, I'd love to grow up to be like Samson. But if you got close to him, it seems there might have been things about him that weren't very attractive at all. And that's probably true for all of us, that sometimes our pride can be displayed in a way that looks pretty good. Well, I like to see a winner. And you can see that sometimes in sports figures. But then sometimes in a, in a sports figure who is very successful in their field, they have trouble in their personal life. They have trouble with their relationships on the one-on-one. -on -one. They're great on the field. They're great on the football field or they're great in the ring as a boxer or something else, but they can't get along with the people that should be their closest companions. And Samson seems to have displayed some of that. There's a danger in his self-reliance. Samson, because of his victories, again, he, he stood on his own strength. He stood so strongly on his own strength that he, he was willing to tell a person that had betrayed him three times already, was willing to tell her about the Nazarite vow. And in doing that, he, he could not have believed that she would not try it, right? I mean, okay, 
bind me with new cords with, with, that haven't been dried. She tries it. Bind me with new ropes. She tries it. Weave my hair into the loom, into the webbing of a loom, and she tries it. Well, unless he's a complete idiot, he would have thought she is going to try what I tell her. And he tells her anyway. And, of course, she brings the barber in, and he cuts Samson's hair and shaves his head. And when he wakes, I'm, I'm imagining he realized his hair is gone. And he still stands up and makes this declaration. He says, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But the scariest verse in the story of Samson's life appears right after that. As the Bible declares, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Pride can do that to all of us. Pride can make us so numb to the presence of God that the most ominous thing that happened to Samson can happen in our life. We're going from success to success, standing on our own merits, believing in our own strength, believing in our abilities without God, that we can not know that he has left us, that there is a distance, that that fellowship is broken. It's in complete contrast to the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah when he said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So, the, the de declared word of God gives us a list of priorities. And it tells, it begins by saying, it doesn't give us a list of priorities, I'm sorry, it gives us one priority. And it tells us on a list the things that are not a priority. Not our riches, not our wisdom, not our might our priorities with God. God has a way that he evaluates us and the evaluation is based on this, based on our relationship that we understand and know him. So is that what we stand on? It's worth asking that question. It's worth asking the question, am I blind to a distance between myself and God? Am I really in communion with him? Am I really relying on him? Do I realize that I am nothing? Do I realize, like the words that were said to Belteshazzar, that, to Belshazzar rather, at the feast where Daniel says to him, you've praised the gods of gold and silver and wood and all that's around you, but the God in whose hand your breath is, you have not honored. So have I praised all of the things and all the gifts that God has given and neglected the relationship with the giver of those things so that there's a distance in the one thing that matters while I've focused on what doesn't. God, spare us the, the, 
devastating results, the, the condition of not knowing that he has left us. The, the last point we have is the one positive point in, Sam, in Samson's life. And I've called it strength, the strength of weakness. So finally, Samson now is bound and his eyes are gouged out. His eyes that once declared that the woman of Timnah was right in his eyes. He said that twice to his parents. She is right in my eyes. And it happens then that his eyes are gouged out as a result of not only that, but many other mistakes he made along the way, probably following his eyes at every point. But they, the Philistines, in their objective, by mistake, not intentionally, of course, but they are in cooperation with God in this matter because they declare their, their objective. They say, tell us what his strength is that we may humble him. That we may humble him. So they are an instrument in God's hands for the humility of God's servant. It can happen to us that way as well. The things that we don't like to happen and the instruments that normally Satan would wield those instruments and we think that's a bad thing. I don't want that to happen and it's, and it's happening under, under the authority of the prince of this world, of, of Satan himself. He's attacking and doing things that we don't want to happen and those are humbling to us. And as they humble us, Satan as, as um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, even the devil is God's devil. Even the devil is under the ultimate authority of God. And so he's working God's plan while he's trying to do his plan. Paul said it this way, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this part of Samson's story looks like the lowest point in his life. But I would say spiritually, it is very likely one of the highest points, if not the highest point of his relationship with God because he realized his need. All the, all the structure that he had created around him to avoid humility had broken down. All the things around him that had made him rely on himself had been taken away. His eyes, his strength, all was gone. So now he was left only to rely on God. And so as things seem to go down, his spiritual condition seems to be at its height when he calls out to God. It seems like this one moment in Samson's life may be what is described in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 when it, when it lists Samson among the, the roll call of the faithful and it says of those people who were on that roll call, that uh, out of weakness they were made strong. And so in this case, it seems that that's what, what the writer is talking about. 
even as Samson's life ends in his one last victorious event over 3,000 enemies, we're left with a stark reminder that he was merely a man. His story is part of the record of God's people and their preservation through history, part of the ways that God has kept his promise to his people. But it leaves us wanting so much more. There's so much missing from this hero, from this savior, if you will, that we want, uh, we want more, we want a better savior. I think that it is intentional that the Bible points a shadow forward from Samson and many, many others to a savior who is a better savior. There are some things that are similar about Samson and our Savior. An angel declared the birth of both. They were both born in a time of spiritual darkness. They were both consecrated before their birth to their mission. They both lived lives noted by miracles. There are probably some other similarities we can find, but now we, we see a contrast. To illustrate the contrast, Samson lived by the theme, as they have done to me, so I will do to them. We call it vengeance. Je- Jesus lived and taught, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Samson indulged his appetites, demanding whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. Jesus denied his flesh with fasting and prayer. And he said to the temptation to create bread out of a stone, he said, man shall not live by bread alone. Samson used people for his purposes. Jesus served others as Many times, but most notably when he washed the disciples' feet. Samson died with his arms outstretched in a final act of victorious vengeance. Jesus died with his arms outstretched in a final act of victorious redemption. Samson's body was taken by loved ones to a tomb where it remains today. Jesus' body was taken by loved ones to a tomb from which he arose three days later. The angel said of Samson, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The angel said of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you are not a Savior who is still in the grave, that you are not a Savior who simply displayed physical strength or took vengeance on your enemies because we were numbered among your enemies. But instead of vengeance, you have chosen to redeem us. You have chosen to love us. And we thank you, Lord, 
We thank you that you are of a different character than what our flesh is made of. That you are of a different character than what Samson was made of. That you have chosen forgiveness, redemption. That you have chosen to buy back what was lost and corrupt and and what had broken your law, what had broken vows to you, what had become useless without you. Lord, we praise you that you have reached down to bring us back to yourself. And in this story, we pray that you will continue to teach us not only the perils and the, and the results of foolish decisions, but the grace that you give